Hi, and welcome to All Things Cozy with Matt and Jillian. We are a bi-weekly podcast about everything that is warm, soft, and comforting. Every year, it seems like the Christmas season extends earlier and earlier. And this year, we are happily jumping on the bandwagon for some much-needed comfort and joy. Brian Earle, host of the podcast Christmas Past, is here to tell us about his brand new book of the same name that reveals the backstories of Christmas traditions you think you know about, but you really don't. Ask yourself, do you really know what a sugar plum is? Well, Brian does. And we're so excited to have him here with us. Welcome to the podcast, Brian. Welcome. Well, thank you so much. I've been really looking forward to this. I absolutely loved your book. I learned so much. I had no idea. I knew so little about Christmas. I thought I knew everything, but I Mm -hmm. did not (laughs) by a long shot. Same here. I was uh, reading your book while sipping on a hot toddy, and it was just the coziest <laughs> experience. <laughs> Maybe I should have been sipping eggnog, but um, <laughs> overcoming a cold. So we're recording this at the end of October, and I was at the grocery store this morning with my son, and the eggnog is already out. The Christmas stuff is out fully. I yeah. was at Target, mm-hmm. and it's there. <laughs> we have transitioned. We've, we've made the turn, and mm-hmm. so have we here on the podcast. But before we dive into Christmas past, let's discuss what's making us feel cozy this week. Jillian, can you kick us off? What's making you feel cozy? I was on the East Coast for three weeks. I was on Long Island, um, New York City, and Boston. And when I was in Boston, um, I was there seeing my nephew and with my partner. And on a downtime, I was like, wow, I really need to get my bangs cut. (laughs) Just, you know, if you have bangs, you understand. It's like, they, once they go to a certain level, it's all you can think about. And isn't there need to know well, the backstory of my face? Well, they're literally in your face, though. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, of course. <laughs> a constant reminder. And so I was like, you know what? So I used to live in Boston for four years. It's important context to the story. And so I thought, let me see if my old hairstylist is around and still bopping around and, and doing hair. <laughs> so I emailed her and I said, I don't think you'll remember me, but hope you could fit me in. She's like, of course I remember you. So... I went to her new salon. She now owns her own salon. And we just had the best time catching up. It's been 10 plus years, I think 12 years since I've last sat in her chair, so to speak. <laughs> and we were just cracking up the whole entire time. She got divorced, which is not funny. But the way she said it, she was like, you know, we're like, hey, what's going on with you? She's like, well, remember, Joe, we're actually divorced. And just like going on and on about all um, the things in our lives that have, you know, gone left and just like laughing hysterically. And we had such a fun time catching up. And then the way home, I kind of knew where I was because it was on a, a street that I wasn't familiar with. But out of muscle memory, I remembered where I was going and to go back to the hotel. And I happened on the street I turned on, my old street with my old apartment. And it's like stepping into a life that you used to live. You ever had that feeling where you're back in an old city and for a second, it's like you're actually in that time. And I find that really cozy that the idea that you could just step into your old life for a day and it was just really comforting and a nice blast in the past, like literally time traveling almost. It was really That's cool. That's incredible. Yeah. And your hair looks great. Thank you. <laughs> it does. Can confirm. Can I ask where in Boston you used to live? I was in the South End. Okay. Yes. So I bopped around for a little bit. I also lived in Jamaica Plain for a spell. Me too. And Oh, you did? Really? Did you ever go to Forest Hill Cemetery? Yes, that, that's a very cozy location. Yeah, I think for people who aren't from New England or haven't visited a New England uh, Victorian-style cemetery, this might sound really odd, but that is one of my <laughs> actual favorite places on earth to visit. It is absolutely gorgeous, especially during the fall. 100%. Well, 
Well, speaking of cozy autumnal feelings, one thing that is, at least for now, keeping me firmly rooted in autumn is what's making me feel cozy this week, which is Trader Joe's autumn maple coffee. And it really is super simple. It is just coffee infused with natural maple flavor. Really, the aroma is the most incredible part because when you brew it, it fills your entire kitchen with this amazing maple scent. It tastes good, but the the scent it throws <laughs> while you're brewing it is really the amazing part. So it's it's been a, a fixture of my weekend for the last couple of weeks. Highly recommend it. Very cozy. Yeah, Trader Joe's has an amazing selection of fall items. They do, and it's always, you know, you have to just enjoy it while you can because you never know when it's going to go away. <laughs> That's true. I, I lost R.I.P. these amazing chicken nuggets and vegetarian chicken nuggets, never to be seen again, just haunting my dreams. There needs to be like a, you know, at the, you know, Academy Awards or award shows in general, they have like a montage of the in memoriam segment. They need to do that for Trader Joe's after the end of each year. Just to like all the snacks we loved that are gone now <laughs> this year. <laughs> Just so also that you know what happened because the weeks after they pull something, you're going and it's like, is it just this location? You have, you're in denial. You're mm-hmm. like, you know, oh, it'll come back. <laughs> and it doesn't come back. It's gone forever. Yeah. Tough blows. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to cozier things. Brian, how about you? What's making you feel cozy? I live in the San Francisco Bay area. So the bottom of the bay where it tends to stay a little hotter, a little longer. So this week, it's finally cool enough, cool by, you know, California Bay Area standards, um, that I can wear a flannel. And so I'm feeling, you know, kind of cozy. It's got a little bit of a fallish nip in the air. I mean, nothing at all compared to the New England fall that I grew up with. But um, yeah, it's just, I was out this morning with my son and like the leaves are coming down and everyone's got their flannels and sweaters on. Um, and then the other thing is, you were mentioning how the the season comes earlier and earlier every year. And I, I'm guilty of being one of the people that helps drive all of that because I jump on the train <laughs> as early as I possibly can. I mean, September really is, for, for my money, September 1st is the beginning of the Christmas season. But even that, it's a slow ramp up, right? You don't want to get too much of a good thing too quickly. Yeah, so yeah. I ramp up slowly. And one of the things I do to restrain myself is that... Um, I'll really get into the movies and the music whenever I can, but I won't start indulging in in Christmassy treats until after Thanksgiving. And that's because Mm -hmm. if I started now, by the end of the season, none of my clothes would fit. Uh, So (laughs) what I do in the meanwhile to keep myself, you know, at least sort of on that side of things is like you were mentioning the Christmassy coffees. I can't really do flavored coffees, but flavored teas I'm all about. So I have this Mm -hmm. whole what's the word palette what's the word for different kinds of teas uh, a whole gaggle of different christmasy <laughs> and, and seasonal term yes <laughs> so yeah i have all my my caffeinated and decaffeinated ones i have uh, ones with a rum extract flavoring in Ooh. it um yeah stash and this sounds like i'm doing a commercial for stash but it's my favorite <laughs> brand of tea and they have one called uh, christmas chai And so it's basically chai that also has rum extract uh, flavoring. Mm. And so that with a little bit of sugar, it really tastes great. And then there's another one that uh, sounds like it would be gross and and it kind of is, but like in a good way, is uh, eggnog flavored black tea. So I've been drinking quite a bit of that too. Wow. I need to try that. That's my way of getting my Christmassy flavors without my Christmas calories. (laughs) No, definitely. I think I need to do that during the Christmas season itself because I am prone to indulging in eggnog and then... Exactly. Like my clothes don't fit. Mm. (laughs) So diving into Christmas past, since 2016, Brian, you've hosted a very cozy podcast, Christmas Past. Mm. 
that blends radio storytelling with fond listener memories, all focused on the most wonderful time of the year, Christmas. And in your new book, titled Christmas Past, The Fascinating Stories Behind Our Favorite Holidays Traditions, you catalog the sometimes strange but always fascinating history behind our favorite holiday traditions from food and drink to entertainment, music, and culture. And it really was honestly astonishing to read all the history of yeah. th that's behind the traditions that we do and how mm -hmm. some of them you think that go back forever have been around just for a couple of decades. And then mm -hmm. others that, you know, you, you have to say like, well, that can't be that, you know, long ago that we were doing that, but it's gone going back to hundreds and hundreds of years. So it's just, it's, it's wild, all the facts that I didn't know about Christmas. And now I do thanks to your book. But before we dive into the book itself, I would like to hear a little bit about how your podcast started. Um, have you always been fascinated by the history of Christmas traditions or do you have like an origin story where you've bitten by a radioactive reindeer? Like what is your Christmas origin story? It, that Yes, you to it was that. I, most people don't <laughs> guess that, but you, you got it right. So you get a prize. Um, no, I mean, it sounds like a really obvious thing to say, but if you celebrate Christmas, you've probably always celebrated it, you know, like very, you've mm -hmm. never known a, a world without it. And so as you grow and change, your connection with Christmas changes too. When you're a kid, it's, it's all about Santa and getting a big bounty of gifts. And as you get older, maybe it's more about the nostalgia of looking back at that time or spending time with family. And I feel like as I'm sort of now firmly rooted in middle age, uh, my relationship again has changed with it where it's more like I find all of it really, really fascinating because there's no other cultural phenomenon where we so drastically change the way that the world looks and sounds and smells and tastes. And we change a lot of our habits and beliefs and attitudes. We just change the way we change so much of our lives, even the way we talk words like tis or twas or humbug <laughs> come into our vocabularies and then, and then they leave again. Right. And, this is, you know, a very, very human thing. I'm, what I'm talking about basically is the notion of festivity, where it just seems to be a trait in human nature across all cultures and all times in history that we change our environment to celebrate things and mark the passage of time. But Christmas is just the most dramatic example of that. And then, so that's one level of it. But then you look at every single tradition that we celebrate. And for every one of those, there is a story. And for everyone that we still celebrate today, there's like at least a hundred that came and went. And that's interesting in its own right too, because the Christmas we celebrate today, and I'm using that phrase deliberately, the Christmas, right? There is there is no Christmas. There's just the iteration of it that we all recognize today. It's this patchwork quilt. It's a collection of traditions from different cultures and different times in history. And it is by no means the complete collection, like, like not even close. And it's not going to be the final collection. We're going to keep changing and iterating. So you were saying before about how uh, the, a lot of traditions might seem like they're older than they really are or newer than they really are. And that's because Christmas is constantly evolving. And so people from even four generations ago, like your great, great grandparents would look at the way we celebrate Christmas and they barely recognize it. And we have to assume that that's going to continue to be true, that your great, great grandchildren will look back on this. And this this is the historic Christmas for people several generations in the, in the future. And so, again, when it comes to September, October, I start getting into the spirit, but I kind of like ease into it. Mm -hmm. And so back in 2015, I was like, gosh, you know, I wonder if NPR has a Christmas podcast, because I would love that. Like, you know, like planet money, but for Christmas traditions. Uh, and... <laughs> 
obviously that doesn't exist. And back in 2015, very few Christmas podcasts existed. There was a small handful at best. And so I said to myself, I, I wonder what that would sound like. And I, and I also have to assume I'm not the only person who would want something like this. So I'm going to give it a try. And I should say I had absolutely no business trying something like this. I, you know, I'm not a storyteller. I'm not a journalist. I have no experience. I didn't even own a microphone. I had no idea what I was doing. I think a lot of people, their journey into podcasting is, oh, this podcasting thing is cool. I want to do that. Or my friends have a podcast. I'd want to do something similar. For me, it was more, I really, really wanted to create a way of thinking about Christmas and talking about Christmas where curiosity was front and center. And so that was really the story behind the podcast. And I could have gone a bunch of different ways, but for me, the number one thing was not only that curiosity and fascination were front and center, but in order to deliver on the promise of that, it had to be engaging content. I couldn't just read you the Wikipedia page. I mean, anybody could do that. I needed it to feel like you're being in a, immersed into a narrative, like you're going through like an experience by the time you come out the other side. And again, going back to how I, I really had no business doing that because I you know, really didn't even know where to begin other than to try as best as I could to sound like some of the shows that I liked and just try, you know, try to figure things out as I went. So that was in 2016. The first dozen episodes came out. The idea was I was going to do one season and see what happened. I, I had no idea I was going to do a second season or a third. But that first season, um, you know, the, the Financial Times did a little write up on me. I, I got way more of a, a response than I, I ever thought that I would. And I said, OK, maybe I'm on to something. And so here we are now, seven seasons later and a book coming out and, you know, I kind of feel like, OK, the, the concept is validated. I think I kind of got the hang of telling the stories now. And here we are, I think about 185 episodes in. They're not all the backstory episodes, but uh, many of them are. I put out about a dozen of those every year where I do a lot of research and do the storytelling and meet with experts and all the little sound design and music that goes along with it. So, yeah, that is that is the origin story of Christmas Past. Well, you do that so well. It's, it's, it's funny to hear you say that you, you know, were nervous or didn't have like experience to do a podcast originally, because it sounds, it, it's so professionally done, like the, mm -hmm. the journalism aspect of the backstory episodes, but also your voice is such a, it's so soothing. I love the storytelling episodes too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. Honestly, and this is going to sound like a humble brag, but I swear it isn't. I've, I've been so shocked at how many people have said that, have made comments about my voice because I've always felt somewhat self-conscious about my voice. Um, and I even like, I have a slight lisp and my, my siblings would kind of make fun of me when I was a kid. And like my voice before I hit puberty, like when I on the phone, people would often mistake me for a girl. <laughs> and so I've always just, it, it was baked in. I could never get rid of it that I felt a little self-conscious about my voice. Uh, and then that seems to be the one thing that people kind of click with and even so, even after I put out the the podcast, my brother is like, hey, you sound like you're, you're talking like you're trying not to wake up a baby who's sleeping in the other room. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just my voice. I mean, I open my mouth and sound comes out and that that's what you get. I don't know what I can it's, do about it, that. No, it's like, and it's the perfect voice for a yeah. Christmas podcast too, because it has, it's like there's just the, the right amount of like mm -hmm. merriment. It does feel like I'm there like for, it was the night before Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Ready to dive in. Really, it's really warm and wonderful. Well, thank you. Well, in the spirit of unwrapping stories of Christmas past, I'm curious where we dive into the nitty-gritty of your book. Uh, what is your favorite holiday memory? And bonus, if it has any relation to one of the, the chapters in your book. I could answer that in a couple of ways. I mean, my favorite holiday memory as a kind of 
meta memory, you know, a series of memories that I accumulated growing up would be Christmases in New England. Uh, I love living in California, um, but there's nothing really compares to there being snow on the ground and seeing the the lights, Christmas lights reflected mm -hmm. in the snow. And every year, I'm kind of showing how old I am. I, I, was, I grew up mostly in the 70s and 80s, and we had these Chevrolet Caprice classic station wagons that you could fit like 100 people in. And we go around <laughs> looking at Christmas lights and drinking eggnog. And uh, I come from a very, very large family. So my mom is one of six. My dad's one of five. Each of them had a lot of kids. So I had all these, you know, cousins and uh, family around that were all within just like a 20 minute drive. So my Christmases were very densely populated, let's say. There were mm -hmm. just lots and lots of people around. There is one Christmas memory that I talk about in the preface to the book where I don't know if it's a favorite memory, but whenever I think of a Christmas memory, it's the one that comes to me most vividly, which was this gift that I really wanted. It was a children's magic set called Chinese Illusions of Magic. And mm -hmm. I was lured in by all this catalog copy that's like secrets of the mystic conjurers revealed for the first time. You know? And, you know, it's, it's like your normal kids magic set with linking rings and sponge bunnies and all that kind of thing. But um, I really, really wanted it. And I actually tore out the catalog page and put it under my pillow and all of that. And then um, Christmas of 1980 something, I was down to my last gift. I'd opened everything. And then there's this one box that was roughly the size of a children's magic set. And I tore off all the paper and it wasn't the magic set. <laughs> and I forget what it was. All I just sort of, all I saw was the absence of the magic set. <laughs> and so I was dejected and crestfallen. But then the next year, the first present I opened was the magic set. Right. And I, I don't know, I must have been around 10, something like that. But I kept that thing all throughout my childhood until the time that I moved out of the house. I remember as I was cleaning out the attic, getting rid of all my things, I still had Chinese illusions of magic there. And I don't know what it was about that. I think magic is kind of a common hobby, especially for boys. You know, it's just like it seems like every boy has a magic set at some point in their life. But that to me is just the memory that comes through the most vividly. There's there's a picture of me uh, in my pajamas with my hair, a complete mess uh, in this very 80s decorated living room and, uh, and, and opening the, the, the present. And but I think now, you know, now that I have a two year old, um, I mean, a lot of my favorite Christmas memories are, are happening now. This is his third Christmas because he was born in November. He's just getting it now. He's just starting to, you know, he can point out the characters I was at the grocery store today and we got one of those inflatable, it's like an inflatable dinosaur with a Santa hat on uh, that's taller than him now. And I just, as these things are happening, like, you know, that they're being imprinted on, mm. I know they're being imprinted on my mind. I'm like, I know I'm going to remember this forever. The moment that I blew up the inflatable dinosaur and it was taller than him. And it's, it's a cool feeling, you know, just like feeling all those things just happening and being imprinted upon me and just feeling everything that they make you feel in real time and just knowing that uh, there's so much more to come. So I don't know if that's a way that's kind of a non-answer because it's not a memory, but it's sort of like the anticipation of, of all the memories I'm going to make mm -hmm. is kind of what has me most excited about Christmas nowadays. Yeah, it's funny when you mentioned sleeping with the advertisement underneath the, your pillow, it reminded me of that really interesting tidbit of um, people sleeping with the fruitcakes underneath their yeah. pillows. <laughs> Yeah. So the tidbit is there was an old superstition that if you slept with a slice of fruitcake underneath your pillow, you would dream of your future uh, spouse. And also this is, I should say, fruitcake wasn't always exclusively a Christmas thing. And that's true of a lot of Christmas traditions. Mm -hmm. They just kind of start out as general celebration mm -hmm. items. Eggnog is another example. And then eventually they become almost exclusively associated with Christmas. 
But it's also true, I think it's more the superstition element. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing that used to be very common uh, as part of the Christmas season were all of these superstitious rituals. And there were lots of things like that. There was, if you peel an apple and throw the apple peels on the floor, the way that they land will sort of spell out the initials of your future love. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, there's countless. Christmas used to be a very, very superstitious time. So interesting. On the topic of those elements of Christmas, I, I mentioned this in the intro, but your challenge to picture a sugar plum at the start of the book, it really mm -hmm. made me confront how much I don't know <laughs> or have accepted <laughs> with little to no critical thought. Like, I think I imagined that a, a sugar plum was like truly a, the, the fruit like sprinkled with sugar. Like, and I think Same. there are even, I've seen, I swear I've seen Christmas ornaments that depict that. Um, maybe I'm mm -hmm. crazy and making that up, but it was a, almost like a medication originally, right? The closest thing we have nowadays is what they call a Jordan almond. You take mm -hmm. an almond and, and it has like a, a thick candy coating shell on it. But um, back in the days, they would have uh, like things like cardamom pods or caraway seeds or things like that. And they would be candy coated. And almost always they at the beginning were more like uh, remedies for indigestion or bad breath. They weren't candy. The, the sugar coating was just sort of part of the medicinal treatment. And remember, back then, sugar was not cheap. It's not like you could buy it like we do today for, you know, two bucks for five pounds, right? It was, you had sugar if you had money to spend. And so these were the kinds of things that the wealthy could afford. Um, oftentimes, they'd also be served at celebrations, but um, they, they weren't a candy. And then, the, and they weren't called sugar plums back then. They were called comfits, C-O-M-F-I-T-S. It's the same word origin as confetti, because it means to make. It's the the, or, the Latin origin to, to make something is uh, comfit. And eventually, this is another one of these examples of something that sort of became associated with Christmas more by a process of elimination. It was associated with many things and then fewer things and then only Christmas. But the word sugar plums, as far as anyone can tell, the first time it was ever used was in a pamphlet published where someone was using that word to describe hush money, like a bribe to keep someone quiet. Mm, that's right. And, but no one knows, like, what does the word sugar plum in that context? What was it must have been a reference to something, but no one quite knows what it was. However, in the following decades, sugar plum became kind of a word for just like anything that is uh, desirable or sweet, kind of in the same way. There's um I'm doing an episode this season on uh, Pfeffernusse, those little cookies covered in sugar. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the translation is pepper nuts. Mm -hmm. And it's odd because those cookies contain neither pepper nor nuts. And so what would the pepper? <laughs> and the reason is back in the day, pepper just meant spiced. It didn't mean it literally has pepper in it. Uh, and so sugar plums, in the same way that plum pudding doesn't necessarily have plums, because plum was kind of a slang word for anything sweet or desirable. Mm. It's kind of what, you know, if, uh, nowadays, if you have a cushy job, you have a plum position, right? It's mm -hmm. the same idea. So over the years, um, sugar plums became a lot more common. And I think it was had a lot to do with advances in confectionery methods. It, they, they invented machines to make them and it was easier. But before it was something that only a very skilled confectioner could do. Then they became a little bit more mass market. And then they, they just kind of went away. The, the actual product uh, ceased to exist, but we still talk about it. But it's, it's also an interesting part of the season, sort of like I mentioned before, where a lot of the traditions, for every tradition we have, there's a bunch that died out. And then there's this sort of weird middle class of traditions that they're still part of the season because they show up in songs and literature. We still talk about them, but we don't experience them. 
So things like hot buttered rum and wassail and boar's heads and um, or even that fossilized language like we use, you know, the Lord is come. And it's like, that's a weird way of saying that. right? <laughs> but, we, but, but we still do because it's, it's right. still with us, even though it really has no business still being with us. And so, yeah, sugar plums are they're, they're kind of like a ghost of the Christmas mm-hmm. season. They're, they're here, but mm-hmm. we don't we don't see them and we don't experience them. But there's they're still part of the season somehow. Even recently, you mentioned the book like chestnuts, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were a tradition. They were captured in music uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> as something that, you know, we consumed and then we stopped. <laughs> but they're still there in the songs. Yeah. And that's um, an interesting one because we know why we know why and we know how. And that all mm-hmm. happened within a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And it was there was a fungal blight that came along sometime in the 1940s, like pretty much right when they were writing that song, Chestnuts Roasting on an Open mm-hmm. Fire, because by the early 1950s, all American chestnut trees, and I mean, all of them were, were just wiped out. And so chestnuts are still you still see them in the Northeast. Uh, and that's really where they kind of began anyway. Um, Part of the reason they became national is because they were sold in the markets in in New York City, and that kind of got them a lot of attention. And so you still see them in Pennsylvania and New York City now. They're not American chestnuts, though. They're imported Asian chestnuts. But yeah, the rest of the country kind of will never know um, the the tradition of chestnuts during Christmas just because they all got wiped out. Well, there's just so much to cover in this book, I'd imagine. I was curious how you set out organizing it because each section almost read as an individual book, which I actually really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did, how did you set out to plan, map out and, and plan the book with such a wide breadth of topics to cover? In a way, the book is kind of like a greatest hits collection from the podcast as, as a starting point, right? It's not literally like transcribed episodes of the podcast, it, um, but every chapter in the book was once an episode in the podcast. Uh, and so it was really a matter of kind of like you said, I need to organize these by theme. And I kind of wanted a, a nice flow and a nice mix of content to it. I wanted things that were definitely old, things that are new, things that we don't celebrate anymore, things that we do celebrate. You know, through it all is the theme that runs through the podcast, which is two main points. Number one is that Christmas is constantly evolving. And that number two, the Christmas you celebrate now is way newer than you probably think it is. I mean, like, most of it, the majority of Christmas as you experience it is is decades old, just decades. You know, and a great deal of the remainder isn't much older than that. My favorite section was about the food. And it made mm-hmm. me laugh because it almost in every mention, uh, the genesis for that food becoming really popular is that the price of sugar went down. I was like, oh, is that yes. sugar again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and unfortunately, that had to do with um, labor practices that, you know, we, we would would make us feel sick to our stomachs nowadays. But that, that actually had a lot to do with it. The little tidbits of history and tradition, because you mentioned, you know, a lot of how we see Christmas now is not obviously, you know, the, it's so modernized today. But um, the snow globe, for example, you know, is carrying on the legacy of making the snow globes. And so it lives on. There's and passed on through generations. So there is that thread of tradition throughout the book. Which snow is really globes lovely. are another one. Um, I don't know if I said this in the book, but definitely in the podcast. That's one of those traditions that it seems like it must have been around forever because it's so simple, right? It's a globe with a thing in it. And it just seems like an ancient thing, like nutcrackers or something. But it's really just three generations old. Um, and like you said, it's a family business. So uh, Aaron Percy III is the the grandson of Aaron Percy the first who who invented those things uh and you know so, so 
just three generations that that thing's been around. It's that's I think probably one of the most fascinating things I find about Christmas. It's it's almost like like a funhouse mirror where the perspectives get thrown off, where things that you think are really new are probably really old, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. The way that you light up a Christmas tree before was with candles. Um, and the candles were actually referenced to stars. And then we created electric lights. Now we have LED lights. We're, we're in like the fifth derivative of, of reality right now. Where we just keep, you know, oh. <laughs> keep making artifice upon artifice and moving us farther and farther away. And then we put them on artificial trees, you know? No, no, exactly. <laughs> the, <laughs> it's really funny. I, I, I never really reflected on that, but I always <laughs> would see old images of people putting candles on their Christmas trees and being like, wow, mm-hmm. why don't we, why don't we do that? That looks so romantic. And then that your chapter on that really put into a harsh reality. <laughs> like, harsh reality. do you really want wax dripping all over your floors? Like, do you mm-hmm. really want to burn down your house? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some oh, insurance yeah. companies actually put clauses in their policies that like, yeah, we're, we don't cover those. <laughs> wow. And there was even, I read, um, what was it? It was in some women's magazine from 18 something about, well, how do you put out all the candles if you have a big tree? And so the recommendation was you take a wet sponge and put it at the end of a broomstick and you just go and like you, you damp out all the candles that way. And that's when you're like, okay, now, I mean, to be clear, when we have a tree on, we, you turn the lights on and it's like that all night. Like you would mm-hmm. light the candles, sing a song or two and then blow them out. It's not like they just be mm-hmm. on all the time unattended. <laughs> so it's kind of a different different thing back then. I'm glad I wasn't born then because I would definitely be the one to <laughs> burn down the house. And if it's well. a freshly cut tree, the, the odds of it burning are, are next to zero, right? It's more like if it's an old tree and I'd find uh, a way or if there's, yeah. <laughs> Julian would find a way, but I do believe that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I also cap, you know, that part off is that, you know, we're always changing. There's that beautiful thread of tradition or you can call it a beautiful thread of tinsel running through <laughs> the book covers so much is there anything you wish still made it into the book but it didn't make the cut because of space or timing like you would you know did a podcast episode later or were just starting to address that topic but you, you had to go to print was there a topic that you wish you could have snuck in there uh no because everything i held back is just going to go in volume two i think it's more <laughs> than four three i think it's more i, I really wish that i could have dug deeper into certain topics. And part of the reason that every chapter is so short is that it's meant to be, there were these books a long, long time ago that was kind of, when I was pitching the book, I, I was thinking, oh, I kind of want it to be like that. And it was uh, minute biographies. And I don't know if you've ever seen these, you can find them in like old bookstores. I had a copy when I was growing up and it was, I think Reader's Digest put them out and it'd be like on one page it would be a picture of a famous person. It would tell you this, you know, they're basically their life story in one page. And it's the kind of thing you can kind of thumb through. You can read it in the time it just takes you to like eat your breakfast. And that was the idea of this book is we're going to have 25 of these. So it's kind of like an advent calendar. You know, you can read one of these with a cup of eggnog or or hot chocolate every day, like all throughout the season. You can kind of feel festive and things like that. So toward the end of the book, you imagine several potential future Christmas traditions like Elf Mm -hmm. on a Shelf. And all the made-for-TV Christmas rom-coms that are like all these channels are competing with that similar genre. Yeah. Which trend do you feel is the most likely to stand the test of time? I think, and to back up a little bit, um, I say this at the beginning of the book, you know, a, a tradition, if we're being pedantic, is something that's handed down from one generation to another. And a lot of the things that we call Christmas traditions, like listening to Bing Crosby. I mean, there's mm-hmm. certain things. Yeah. I think we kind of, you, we conflate the term to mean just something that you do at Christmas. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so something like the Elf on the Shelf, it's like, well, it's, it's a little too young for it to be a tradition. Like, I don't think that, you know, you don't have a generation of someone who grew up with it who's now handing it down to their child, or maybe we're just reaching that point. But going back to the idea that Christmas is always evolving, it's like, well, what changes are we living through now that have a good chance of sticking around so that in a couple of generations back, we say, oh, yeah, that that was where that tradition started. Um, I always hesitate to use the term new tradition because, again, it's, it's a bit of an oxymoron. <laughs> <laughs> so think of things that are really popular nowadays, like the ugly Christmas sweater. I think we're just at the point now where we can tell are those going to sort of follow the same trajectory as the aluminum Christmas trees of the 50s where they're going to peak and then die out and we'll look back at those and like, oh, yeah, I remember those several decades ago. Or are those here to stay? My gut tells me they're they're kind of on their way out. They follow a very similar trajectory where they were very polarizing. Uh, and I'm saying similar trajectory to aluminum Christmas trees. When they came out, they were very polarizing. There were a couple of industry leaders then a bunch of people came into the space to try to make their money off them as quickly as they can. They kind of reached a peak. And then I think we're starting to see them slide off. And I think another good example would be uh, the made for TV Christmas movies. Like we are right now, I don't know if you want to call it a golden age. It really depends on what you think of those Christmas movies where, I mean, we're just awash in them. Like you couldn't possibly watch all of them. Although those guys from deck, the hallmark try to. It's incredible. Yeah. I, I can't, the stamina it takes to watch that many oh, hallmark yeah. movies is yeah. it's unreal. Season. It's crazy. And it's not even that it's now, you know, every streamer and every network wants their piece of the action. Cause they get it. They're like, yeah, these things are trite and silly and very overly sentimental, but they're cheap to make. And people will just watch as many of them as you put out. And then now there's even sort of like a little, culture war going on with those where I think it was last year, a new network came out that was like, oh, if if Hallmark is getting a little too racy for you or a little too woke, uh, we'll provide you a, a more conservative mm-hmm. alternative. Which is not the, not the direction I thought that somebody would have an impulse to go in. <laughs> it's not, yeah. The Hallmark movies are really rocking your boat. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> to, to reflect. <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, I knew that more people were going to kind of jump into the market and try to get their piece of it. I, yeah. but I, that, that was a curveball. I didn't see like that would be one of the marketing angles. And, you know, who knows? Maybe someone's going to go in the opposite direction and be like, no, we're going to go, we're going to turn the, what, all that kind of stuff up to 11. Uh, and again, I'm sure there'd be a market for it. I mean, I think it's, it can keep growing and growing and growing. And I talked to Alonzo Duralde about this last year on an episode of, about this topic. And I said, you know, have we reached the peak for this? And he's like, well, if there is a, like, no. And if there is a peak, we don't know where it is because we know that the people keep investing in these and putting these out and people keep gobbling them up. And as someone who kind of watches Christmas trends and Christmas culture, this, it's not my favorite thing about it because go to Google news uh, and put in Christmas and more than half of the hits you're going to get are like, Oh, Danica McKellar is in this Christmas movie this year. And this Hallmark (laughs) hunk is it. It's all about who's in what of these movies that we all recognize are disposable, right? None of these become classics. There's just a new batch every year that goes away. One or two, um, two turtle doves, I think would be a good example of that. That came out with Nikki Deloche, which is a Hallmark movie that is, it's actually a legit good Christmas movie, not just good as far as Hallmark movies goes. It's actually very, very good. I, I would watch it again. But it's the exception that proves the rule, right? For every good one, there's 500 that came and went. They're like Harlequin romances, right? It's the mm-hmm. same thing with just different different window dressing. But they've, they've dominated the culture. They become pretty much 
the dominant cultural um what's the word like phenomenon when it comes to christmas every year is all these movies i tend to feel like we're going to reach a saturation point with those we're going to get a little sick of them the other thing i talked about was was the elf on the shelf because i really do think that might have enough potential to sort of stick with us it's it's a weird one because it relies on one company uh, you know, mm-hmm. like this one family that puts out this one product. But that's also true of, you know, think of like all the Christmas music, re- you know, really relies on whoever owns the copyright to the music or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, whoever owns the license for that character. So much of of the way that we experience Christmas is through brands and different properties owned by brands. The change that I think we're living through is more of the cultural change, the things that we're going to look back and we'll be able to pinpoint now as the time where we kind of became a lot more divided as a culture around Christmas. A survey put out last year found that 37% of people really truly believe that there's some kind of war on Christmas. Um, And depending on where you fall on that is kind of beside the point. The, The fact of the matter is that that is a big cultural influence over Christmas. And then on the flip side of that, you have all the people who are calling out, baby, it's cold outside for its it lyrics kind of not really being in step with modern attitudes and other things like that. And so I think as it is with most other things in culture, right, the Christmas is becoming not that it wasn't politicized before, but it's becoming more politicized in that way. And then the second thing is the length of the Christmas season. So we talked about this at the beginning about how it seems to be coming earlier and earlier every year. And I talk in the in the intro about how well, what is the length of the Christmas season? Like you tell me, when's it supposed to be? And most people will say, oh, well, you know, it starts on Thanksgiving or the day after Thanksgiving. And it's like, that wasn't always true either. That was really mostly from large retailers in New York City, like Macy's, um, trying to extend the shopping season for five weeks so they could sell more stuff. Prior to all of that, Christmas, if you celebrated it at all, the season would actually begin on Christmas Day and last for 12 days, you know, Mm -hmm. the 12 days of Christmas, ending on January 6th. And so sometimes, you, you know, the week before Christmas would be the festive season, something like that. So the length of this Christmas season's always been super malleable. Uh, and then, of course, you know, the reason it stretches has to do with commerce. The countdown to Christmas just started, uh, Hall, uh, Hallmark's countdown to Christmas. And I think more and more people now are embracing this idea of the Burr months, any month ending mm-hmm. in the letters B-E-R. So basically the last third of the year as kind of this extended Christmas season. And now that, you know, people can connect online and all of that and kind of, you know, bolster each other's enthusiasm. I don't think it's ever going to be true that the entire culture accepts the last four months of the year as the Christmas season. But it's also true that back in the early 20th century, when retailers wanted to extend Christmas to be like the month or five weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas, that was met with a lot of resistance, too. And eventually, you know, we all kind of got used to it. I do think... The idea of the Christmas season starting sometime before Thanksgiving, maybe even at the beginning of November, give it a generation. I think that's going to become very, very common. Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel it happening to myself a little bit where I'm like, I'm ready to dive in as soon as Halloween is over. And part of it Mm -hmm. too is like decorating the aspect of how much decorating happens now around the holidays where like, I want to get the most mileage out of the decorations where if I have to bother putting up lights and a tree, it's got to be there for more than I, I, I look back in those, you know, like you're right, like historically people would decorate like pretty much right before the holiday, if not on it. And mm-hmm. I look at that, I'm like, wow, it's a lot of effort for like very little enjoyment with the the thing you just made. The more, the more like the more depressed I am, the earlier I don't want to decorate, you know, because life is, I think for a lot of folks, 
it yeah. that's part of it they just you know with everything just going on it's like they just want to dive into those movies earlier and earlier they want to decorate you know sooner than later um so that's my motivator because <laughs> it's just the instant cheer factor Absolutely. Well, Brian, thank you so much for taking yes. the time to chat with us today. It was really a pleasure to read your book. Oh, if you're you. listening to the show, so get Brian's book. <laughs> where can people <laughs> yes. where can people find your book and, and where can people uh, listen to your podcast? Uh, let's see. So the book is sold, as they say, uh, at fine booksellers everywhere. I mean, <laughs> let, let's be honest, you're going to get it from either Amazon, Books A Million, Barnes & Noble, Indiegogo. Anywhere you buy books online, you'll find my book. Um, and if you want to find me and my podcast and all my socials, the quickest way is just to go to christmaspastpodcast.com. You'll find links to everything there, but you can listen directly wherever you find podcasts. And we will link to your podcast and yes. to your book in our show notes. So if you oh, want to just click, follow through there on the show notes. Again, Brian, thank you so much. Thank Thanks you. for taking the time to join us today. I am thank already you. in the Christmas spirit. I'm starting now. <laughs> I'm just warning everybody. It's starting now. Well, thanks again to Brian for joining us today. Do check out his book, Christmas Past, The Fascinating Stories Behind Our Favorite Holidays Traditions. You will learn so much. Even the stuff that I was more familiar with, like there's a whole chapter on Rankin-Bass animated specials from the 60s. He does such a wonderful job of telling the story. And, and like he mentioned um, in our interview, really making sure that it, there's a flow to it and a narrative is told. And you get that in every single chapter. It was really a wonderful read. Highly recommend it. Same here. And it was very breezy. And I mean that in a very positive way because you could just pick it up. You don't need to remember where you left off and skip around between sections. And I truly love the food section. There's this really funny section on um, mince pies. That's very entertaining. Yes. And by the way, if you're wondering why Jillian sounds a little scratchy, like there might be a frog in her throat, <laughs> it's because she has a cold. And, yeah. there, you know, Jillian, we hope we all hope you feel better soon. But Jillian is, is fine. Like, I can see her right now. She's, she's smiling and she's on the show. So if you're like, is Jillian OK? I feel like our listeners are concerned. Are you yeah. okay, Jillian? <laughs> I, I am okay. Um, and Matt is not holding me hostage in the cozy dungeon saying, you will record no matter how bad you feel. <laughs> no, I, I thought it was great today. I woke up. You know when you're coming on the end of the cold and you're like, man, I've, I, I'm on the other side of this thing. I feel amazing. I can do anything. I can, you know, I yeah, love my yeah. cleaning. I can clean the whole house, whatever. And then it sneaks up on you and says, oh, no, wait, you're going to be coughing every five seconds. Break out the lozenge. Yeah, well, I'm excited to cancel on my dentist tomorrow. That's a perfect excuse. Exactly. You don't, you don't want to be coughing up while they're cleaning your teeth. No. They're going to get everything they're cleaning out right back on their face. <laughs> I still hope they don't drop me from the practice. I reschedule all the time because I forget things come up. But that, we don't need to go into that. Um, that. I mean, please let us know. Keep us posted because that would be quite a, a low to be dropped by a dentist. <laughs> they're, my fa- <laughs> no, they're my favorite dentist. They're so You've gentle. ghosted us too many times. I'm so worried about that. I'm going to email him. Beg to stay on. Well, let's calm ourselves down. You know, if, if we're feeling anxious about upcoming dentist appointments or anything like that, we can relax with some soothing sounds. Jillian, you've got a real banger here I can see in the show notes. Can you tell us what sound is soothing you this week? Snow on the beach 
by Taylor Swift and Lana Del Rey from Midnight's. It was released on October 21st at the stroke of midnight. And then at 3 a.m., she dropped seven more songs on us. And that's when I tapped out and said, can't do this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I do. (laughs) I really connected to this song because, you know, my my basic um, eternal sunshine of spotless mind, but <laughs> like snow on the beach. I was like, okay, sign yeah. me up. You already have me on the title, and the lyrics, pocket full of stars. Like, okay, great, you got me again. I mean, easy sell here. Um, there was some controversy because Lana Del Rey fans were a little upset that Lana is not really actually singing, and she's just this muted sound in, in the in the background almost. But nonetheless, uh, you know, it it does the job. Love the title. Lyrics are fun. I mean, yeah, it's just easy, easy breathing. Well, let's take a listen to Snow on the Beach by Taylor Swift. Snow at the beach, weird, but it was beautiful. Flying in a dream, stars by the pocket full. You wanted me tonight, feels impossible. But it's coming down, no sound, it's all around. Like snow on the beach. The song is such a vibe, mm-hmm. and I I love it. I love this whole album. I'm really feeling it. It, it. To me, it feels like the kind of triumph of 1989, mm-hmm. like an album that has like a very focused sound and vision. To me, it's it's her best album since that one. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I really love this song and the other song where she says that, Maybe she's the problem. That's like, like the chorus of it. Oh, I, I love a fun anti-hero. One. Yeah, anti-hero. Yeah, anti-hero is very fa- fun. But it's funny. I'm a folklore gal. I know the the title is very cozy. Mm-hmm. But I think this this sound, I kind of like the mix of upbeat songs with contemplative, reflective tracks. I mean, this is a very reflective album. Um, she's really thinking about herself and her her relationship to her fame and that fame's influence on her relationships. Um, that, yeah, that's a very good point. Like, there's that one lyric where she says, because um, no one played with me when I was a kid. And, you know, now she's kind of courting fame um, with narcissism and to fulfill that. And I thought that was very introspective. Yeah. But yeah, I, I guess the sound of it, I'm more folklore. But so a lot of people said this was her return to pop, which I think was very satisfying for a lot of folks, too. I will say as a Lana Del Rey fan, I disagree that there's not enough Lana on the track. And I'll say, and I, I say that because <laughs> Lana's voice is such a distinctive, breathy vocal. And there's no mistaking her on the chorus. Like she's all over the chorus. Like how I, I get Lana for days on this track and I'm sorry she's not singing, you know, a full verse or something by herself or whatever, but. The to me, I think her presence is very felt. So those yeah. lunatics can <laughs> lunatics. There is a lot of them on Twitter, but I think Relax. That they have such a hardcore fan base, as does Taylor's. They do. So. I mean, yeah, but also like, look, you think Lana's hurting? Like, she probably had a good time, recorded her part. Yeah. Said thanks for the check, lady. I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, and I think they're friends too. I mean, people want to have some sort of diva war and i call for diva peace yeah diva peace and just have fun i mean the excitement when the album comes out 
just to see that unfold on Twitter because, you know, we covered it live and, you know, some writers were so into it and really excited and they were helping me decode things because all the Easter eggs, that's the only point when I, with her, I get a little frustrated because I don't have time for all these Easter eggs and decoding stuff and reading between the lines. She puts it in there. It's, we have to really critically think about why is the media so obsessed with an analysis of those Easter eggs that they can frustrate us to feel like they're all well, over the place. Cause they Taylor's were our top clicker. So ask the, well, ask the audience. We're Sorry, we all want to know what track is talking about John Mayer. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, Snow on the beach to cap it all up. Love it's it. track 19, by the way. There we go. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Right. <laughs> what are you, what are you listening to this, this week? You know, when it rains, it pours. There was all sorts of new music out now by Arctic Monkeys, by Carly Rae Jepsen, by Taylor Swift. And one of my favorite artists, who I think probably accounts for about 25% of my soothing sounds, and I'm just going to add to that tally today, Caroline Polachek has a new track that I think is very cozy, and it is called Sunset. And it has an incredible Spanish flair, and we're going to listen to it right now. Here's Sunset by Caroline Polachek. So Caroline herself acknowledge the similarity of this song to if you are a gamer or played games um, in the late 90s, early 2000s, to the music of the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. There's a an area called the Gerudo Valley, and when you get to mm. that area, it sounds a lot like this song. And she's amazing and put up a, a melody with that on her Instagram and uh, her social media uh, accounts and she's like dancing in front of it with the um it, the video game behind her and she's like yeah it does sound that like that because i love that game so it, well it's perfect <laughs> combo for you it means yeah. they're two perfect world you love her you love video games i mean it's like you're in nir- nirvana exactly no this is and I, I just love the the beauty of the sound of the song but also the open-heartedness of the lyrics and it just feels like i'm on vacation listening to it i really i love it that's a good way to put it. I could imagine playing this song maybe in early summer dinner. You're sitting outside, pouring your summer drink. That's to just yeah, relax. Yeah, you know what, Jillian? I, I will make a recommendation to you. This weekend, I cleaned to this song, and I felt like I was cleaning faster. Good. You know I love my cleaning songs. So <laughs> I'm just constantly cleaning. I need some tunes. Good you need to stop cleaning eventually. <laughs> And nothing changes. <laughs> <laughs> I sleep um, with cat litter, but go on. That... <laughs> <laughs> we can mask the scent of that cat litter with some scented candles. I'm burning one right now. So we are, we are deep into cozy mm. season, and therefore I am burning a candle called Cozy Season by Sweet Water Decor. And... Let me just read the notes real quick. Pretty candle. So the creators, Sweetwater Decor, describe it as uh, inviting an inviting scent that transitions well through fall and winter. It will remind you of crisp evenings spent bundled up by the fire with scent notes of woods, 
warm spice and citrus. Cozy season is perfect to enjoy during all your favorite chili months or the burr months, as we mm. discussed with Brian today. It's a, you know, it's it's a little, the, the price is kind of like in the mid range. Like it's a kind of an average size glass candle for about like, you can get, you can find it for between 15 and $20, depending on, they, they, they sell on Amazon. So the price can kind of fluctuate. I will say I'm definitely getting that kind of, that spicy wood scent through. Mm. It almost reminds me of like a lot of the candles they have at a uh, cost plus world market. <laughs> it has that kind of almost yeah. a wicker nature to it. Um, and I do enjoy that scent a lot. I'm like wafting it. Yeah. It's, it- it's, it's, it's giving everything that like it's saying it's giving it's, it's a very cozy candle. It's like a really nice wood spicy scent. And I'm not getting so much citrus, but maybe that is like, there's like a layer there that is binding it all together. I'll give it a wick up. I, I think that you, that it's filling the room. It has a decent throw. I, it, it is as described. So I, I got what I, what I paid for. I feel like with this candle, it's, it does smell like a lot of other candles like this that I've, I've tried before. Um, so while I don't think it's doing anything very unique, I do think that it is delivering what it says it's delivering. And it has a good name. I think yeah. that's, yeah, that's the biggest draw, draw for me. I think it would look nice in the house. It's a pretty colored jar. Um, and even the name of the company, Sweetwater Decor, is, is mm-hmm. pretty. But yeah, it's it seems sweet. like, it, yeah, it has the same, <laughs> the same scent notes that we've really become accustomed to. Saturated market, what can you do? <laughs> well, I keep buying the same kinds of candles. I'm like, I know what I like at this point. I think I think I need to start being a little more adventurous just mm-hmm. for the sake of the show. But I, I also I want to give a positive review. And the fact is we have to live with these candles after we burn them for the show. I know. We need to find, like a, we need to find some sort of place for the, the candles, the, re, the reject candles. Where for can lost we homes. find a place for... Oh, you, oh, you still have your pencil, pencil candle from Stinky? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think I still have my pickle candle from them, which is, again, it was doing what it was doing, but like they're novelty candles. How often do I want a pickle scent wafting through my house? Maybe we can start sending them out to all of you. I know, but it seems so candles. terrible to be like, here's our used candles. <laughs> Um, <laughs> we can autograph them. <laughs> I don't think we're there yet. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, we have some shout outs before we go. Julian, yes. um, who are we shouting out today? Thank you, Jana, for becoming our newest patron. I believe you joined after we shouted out our book club month pick, uh, Kitchen Witch. And so if you joined for Kitchen Witch, that's awesome. And I um, hope you like the, the episode. But if you just joined to join, that's that's great too. And welcome. And we appreciate all the support and from all of our patrons. And we have so many great folks there and some in our Facebook group and just a really great community. And you keep us going. Keep the flames lit of our candles. And it's all really <laughs> sweet. <laughs> yeah, we really felt the love on social media this week. Not only mm-hmm. did Lisa's Book Corner shout us out for our Cozy in the News segment, on Boo Buckets. Yeah, they are back. Jillian was right. She was absolutely right. I was nervous. I think I, w- I didn't want to get hurt. And so mm-hmm. I, was, I was approaching it with some skepticism, but they're back. They're they're back. Li- I'm hearing they're a little smaller than the, o- the original ones, but you know, what can you do? Times, times are changing. Mm-hmm. The one thing I am a little bit looking at them is like the, the lids are not the full lids like they used to be. They're like these little cutouts. So we have some notes. McDonald's mm-hmm. needs to like maybe go back and bring us some lids, um, but still so cozy to have those back in our lives. 
Um, also, Andy Smiley from the Friendly Podcast Guide podcast also recommended All Things Cozy to her listeners. Thank you so much, Andy. And thank you to everyone for your support. We really could not do this without you. And we're so grateful that you listen to us and, and share our show. You're helping us spread the coziness around so that more people can participate in our cozy community. Thank you. And with that, we are off on our Christmas season. We, here it is, November. We're going into, we are deep in the Burr months. Lots of cozy coziness coming in the months ahead. Um, so stay tuned. Until next time, stay, stay cozy. cozy.